I'm here with Michael Hutchins, who is the Ward C Councillor for Hornsby Shire Council, and he's been on the council for, I think, 12 years. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. And it's, I think, going on 12 years, so uh, not too far off. Thank you for your time. What I'd like to do, Michael, is, is just give um, you an opportunity just to um, let our listeners know who you are, your involvement in the local area, and also tell us a little bit about the area that is Ward C and Hornsby Shire Council. Definitely. Well, uh, I was elected in uh, 2012, I think it was, um, or 2008, actually, even longer. Um, I ran with a team uh, that knew me from the local area. Uh, I grew up in Epping for virtually all my life, uh, having moved to Arcadia only three years ago. Uh, Epping's obviously seen a lot of changes uh, over the last decade, um, whether it's changes in local government boundaries, changes in development, changes in demographic. Uh, what got me interested in council originally is uh, being able to give back to the local community, um, and I've always been involved from start to finish. So it's something I've always been really happy to help out with and be involved with. So how old were you when you started? You're only a youngster. I think I was 22, 23. I was the equal youngest uh, for Hornsby Shire Council. Um, obviously now we have someone who started a bit younger uh, with Joey Nikita. Um, but yeah, at the time I was the equal youngest for Hornsby Shire Council and I think uh, either the youngest or second youngest deputy mayor at the time as well. So let me get a bit of a sense of Ward C because from my understanding there's been some boundary changes and so you, you've, you've built an understanding and a reputation in the sort of I'll say the southern end of Ward C but the boundaries change and I guess you have to change as well. Well, very much so. So obviously when I was first elected, a lot of our focus was on uh, Epping itself. It was a very high growth area. Uh, the state government had appointed it an urban activation precinct, uh, which meant that all of our focus uh, in terms of development and community services and community facilities uh, really went down into Epping. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you talk to, obviously, uh, during that process, the boundaries did change and all of that area shifted across to Parramatta. Um, but to be honest, from a Ward C perspective, it's a bit disappointing we lost Epping because we put so much effort and emphasis into it and we weren't able to see it delivered. Uh, even things such as West Epping Park or West Epping Oval, uh, we had drawn up all the plans, we had all the money allocated and Parramatta got to cut the ribbon. Uh, so I guess from my perspective, it was a bit disappointing, but we have a whole range of other suburbs that always keep us engaged. Uh, Beecroft and Cheltenham is probably the crown jewels of Seaward, as I like to put it. It's a heritage conservation area. Uh, it has a very active community um, and it's a, one of my passions to look after it. Okay, that's really good. Thank you. So I guess you won't miss the problems you had with Epping Pool, but... <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, Epping Pool is probably, if I had to say, one of my biggest regrets. Um, and it's hard for a politician to admit that, I guess. But from my perspective, we really wanted to do something special there. 
Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to um, win the key stakeholders across in our argument of closing, demolishing and rebuilding. Um, they wanted to see it uh, continued on in perpetuity while the redevelopment took place. Uh, Parramatta Council obviously took over when the boundaries change. And at the moment, apart from a bit of a, a very minor refurbishment, they're still working on the master plan. So I guess time will tell whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Now, if you don't mind, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your community involvement, not so much the politics at this stage? Uh, well, I'm 35 years old. Um, I've always been uh, very engaged in business and the local community and especially the local businesses. Um, been members of various chambers of commerce and I actually registered my own company at the age of 20. Um, I now own uh, four companies and I have 10 staff working for me in the IT and telco field. And I guess that's one of the things which has always placed me well for council, keeping an eye on the council finances, um, making sure that we always try to balance budgets and making some of the tough decisions that people don't always like us making, unfortunately. So just one final general question about there. What are the boundaries of Ward C, if you were going to visualise them and put them into words for us? The boundaries of Ward C, look, essentially from the M2, but then you also include North Epping, which is a bit of an interesting issue in itself, um, all the way through to Cherrybrook, which is obviously a new addition to C Ward. Uh, traditionally, that was in B Ward up until the amalgamations. Um, and then all the way across to parts of uh, West Penner Hills, Penner Hills. So um, most of Penner Hills has now gone over to B Ward, but traditionally that was actually part of C Ward as well. Um, so there's been quite a few shifts. The demographics have changed substantially as well. Uh, you've had a lot more high rise development in places like Beecroft than never had it before. Um, there's been a change in ethnicity uh, across the board as well, which um, adds to the flavour of it and sometimes makes it difficult. Other times it actually makes it easier trying to engage with new residents. Um, but yeah, look, it's been ever evolving, I think is the best way of putting it. Now, in relation to last month's council meeting, there are a couple of items on the agenda that were reflected and reflective of Ward C. Uh, you were involved in that decision making and as you know, I have spoken to other councillors like this on a semi-regular basis in the past, Emma and Janelle, which we'll be hearing in the next week or two on the Triple H. Tell me, um, what it, what's your um, sort of position on those items that came up last, last month? Look, I think um, the way I voted actually speaks for itself. Um, but what I think you'll find, whether it's the Mayor putting up a mayoral minute about heritage protection, or whether it's issues relating to Bowles Creek, which is probably one of the single biggest issues down in Beecroft and Cheltenham, the councillors across the political spectrum always try to work really well together and try to come up with the best option for the community that we can do at the time. Um, my main focus at the moment, especially with everything that's happened with COVID-19 and ongoing, is to make sure council doesn't need to increase its rating structure. And that applies across the board, whether it's Ward C, Ward B, Ward A or anywhere else. Um, it's going to be a significant challenge for us to try to maintain the budget and maintain the books. Um, but that's really where I've been putting a lot of my energy and focus over the last council term.
So I, I actually see that and people who go to council meetings see that. What does that actually involve? Because that sort of stuff just appears sort of during a meeting where a motion is put and passed. And often those financial ones just get sort of pushed through by, um, what's the expression, by the exception method. Correct. What the people don't often see is all the months of debate and discussion beforehand. So what we always have is detailed briefings about all our budget line items, looking at our priorities. And one thing people may not be aware of is that at the start of every year, all the councillors get together and separate to any other formal meeting and try to set the priorities for the next 12 months and for the four-year term even. Uh, and that's where a lot of the discussion and debate takes place. So that once something is presented to council, it's something that most people are relatively comfortable with. So when I attend council meetings, sometimes uh, it's quite clear that some people have spoken before the meeting and others haven't. What's it like in the Monday, the, the minutes come out of the beginning of the month, right, on Monday, the first day of the month, then the meetings on the second Wednesday. What's the sort of routine for a councillor who has a full-time job as that second week of the month comes into play? It gets very busy. Uh, essentially, we do a ring around um, and not always everyone takes part. People have different uh, issues they like to focus on and some people also have different specialties. So uh, some might say that there's certain councillors that have a greater understanding of the environment, others have a greater understanding of technology or finance, others have a really good understanding of the rural area, others have a really good understanding of uh, the river settlements, for example. So what I find seems to work best is if you do the ring around, speak to all the individual councillors and the mayor and get a flavour for where they're thinking, where they sit on the various issues and try to work out amendments and uh, motions before the meeting so we're not trying to do policy on the fly. Uh, one of the things which has somewhat frustrated me is when things happen at the last second and you start doing what's called policy on the run. Um, I don't think that ends up in good decision making and quite often it needs to be fixed later on. Uh, so from my perspective, we try to avoid that at all costs. Would that include amendments being put up at the last minute? That does. Um, sometimes you can't help it because as the debate unfolds or if a resident happens to bring something before our attention that no one noticed, sometimes you do need to do it on the fly. But ideally, especially when it comes to operational plans, budgets, DCP amendments, all the really detailed reports, it's ideal if you can actually work these things out beforehand. It uh, doesn't mean that you won't have something happens on the run, uh, but ideally you try to avoid it. And I guess the single best lesson I ever had where that worked really well was when councillors were still involved in development applications. Uh, in Hornsby, there was a high-rise development. Uh, the officers had recommended approval. There weren't too many speakers speaking against it. Uh, everything seemed to have been work, worked out beforehand. And a gentleman came before the lectern and said, what about my apartment? And everyone started scratching their heads saying, hang on, what apartment? And he pointed out on a map something that every single person had missed. The planners had missed it, the applicant had missed it, or the town planners working for the applicant had missed it, or the councillors had missed it. Every single person along this way 
missed the impact of the overshadowing on his particular apartment next door. And it was only that he stood up and said, what about me, that everything changed. The applicant was happy to change their plans. Councillors were happy to change it. There was no debate or discussion. It was literally the fact that just everyone happened to miss it. And that's one of the great things about the way councils operate, that someone that doesn't have any involvement with council normally can just walk up to us and say, what about me? Um, so in that case, it did change on the fly, but dare I say it worked for the better. Actually, you've, you've led me into a question I've asked um, other, other councillors. I don't know if you've listened to the other, other, um, the other podcasts, but I will um, just cover it briefly. There's this book called The Independent Effect, and it's written, it's written by Andrea, Andrea, sorry, and her name, Andrea Cullen, and she talks about three types of representation as a, as a person who represents the community. She talks about what they call the trustee, the person who was elected, and on some issues, we're just going to trust you to make a decision in the best interest of the community. The representative or the delegate, where you actually listen to the input from the community and take what you can, which might be hard when you've got so many different views coming across. And then finally, the politico, the person who sort of takes a hybrid of both. Um, you were describing for a little bit of that sort of delegate approach in that example. What's your experience in relation to sort of um, representing people and actually being trusted to make decisions that are in the best interest of them and the community? Look, I think I've always taken the hybrid approach. Uh, it really depends on what the issue is. Uh, there's some things where the level of information that a councillor needs to go through can almost never be communicated to those who are actually making submissions. And I'm talking reams and reams and reams of documentation and how it fits in the whole council structure, et cetera, et cetera. I think that we do need to listen to the community and take their feedback on board, but ultimately the decision rests with us, good, bad or otherwise, and every councillor should be prepared to have their say uh, and their day of reckoning, I guess, at the ballot box. Um, I have to say I'm happy to stand by every decision I've made uh, and I'm happy to be judged on every decision I've made, even though a lot of them in the past um, have been somewhat unpopular. Uh, in fact, I, I, one story always comes to mind when I was very first elected, so 22 years old, fresh to council, uh, didn't know too much about what was happening at the time. I was in the first meeting. I went to the Epping Civic Trust. And at the time, there was all the discussions about development and people didn't want to see high-rise. And it was quite a big and difficult topic. They had me there. Uh, the mayor of the day was meant to come to the meeting, as were the other councillors, and I ended up being the only one. I was put up in front of them all and uh, copped a barrage from roughly 100 angry residents. Um, I said then to myself that, I just say things as they are, good, bad, or otherwise. And um, I've always stuck with that. And in fact, there was one person that always gave me grief from that civic trust. And he never agreed with the, some of the decisions I made about some of those developments. But when it came time for the election, he actually said, can I hand out for you? Because at least you were honest. Um, and, and that's something which I'll never forget, even in the very early days. People will have respect for you if you're honest with them, share information with them, and you stand by the decisions, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, doesn't mean you can't change your mind when new information comes along, but be prepared to make a decision rather than no decision. 
And I guess also communicate it because not everyone knows the things that are happening in the background, what you're allowed to communicate, I mean. Um, uh, the, the sort of space I want to go into now is the space of what have been some of the difficult things you've experienced as a counsellor and then move on to some of the successes, pr probably just in this term, but I would like to touch on it. You, you At different times, uh, you've had different levels of support and majority, if you talk about alignments over the years. How does that play out? Look, uh, good and bad, I think, and I hate sitting on the fence when answering a question. Local government's very different to state and federal politics. Um, I find that getting input from all the different sides of the debate is actually healthy. I think some of the best decisions we've ever had is when you actually have input from the Greens, from Labor, from the Independents, and you try to bring everyone's points of view, even though they're coming from different sides of the political spectrum, try to work it into an ultimate decision. Um, I think in my very first term, um, that was happening very well. And I think some of the decisions we were making were fantastic. Uh, in the second term of council, uh, obviously, there was a very clear majority. And we managed to achieve a lot of things which would have been incredibly difficult to achieve otherwise if we didn't have that clear majority. Uh, a lot of the financial uh, things we had to bring in to bring the budget back into line would have been incredibly difficult uh, if we didn't have that clear majority. Um, so it does change with the day and it does change with the community. It's hard to say which one's better. I think in some circumstances, it is better to have a clear majority because you actually have a mandate and you can go through with that mandate. Um, but other times when you don't have a clear mandate, it actually makes people work harder and more collaboratively. So both, both have their pros and cons. Okay. In terms of um, projects and initiatives and things like that, what's some of the uh, easy, not easy, but the ones that you've been sort of successful and happy with as a collective? I think the biggest one that I've been incredibly happy with is actually the quarry. Um, the fact that we're actually progressing down a path to opening it up for the public and we finally are seeing a bit of a vision and work taking place. Uh, the quarry has been something where the residents were paying for it through a special rate variation for a very long time uh, and very soon they're actually going to see the fruits of that. Uh, a lot of people at the time and especially in my first term of council were saying that the quarry is this huge black hole which will never amount to anything. Uh, council never should have acquired it and it depends where you sit on the issue but I see it as a huge asset. I think we're incredibly lucky to have a piece of open space that close to our town centre. And yes, it is going to be a project worth hundreds of millions by the time it's actually finished properly. But I think it's going to be something for generations to come. So it's not an easy project. Um, it's had a lot of controversy over the years. But I think from my perspective, that's our single biggest achievement, actually being able to get something done with it and moving forward with it. Um, so I think that's probably my highlight at the moment. So, so tell me, from what I understand of Hornsby Shire Council and the boundaries, you've got all the rivers, it goes all the way around with the rivers bounding and the rest of it. How do you get buy-in for the community that live out at Wiseman's Ferry or on the western edge at Cherrybrook and the rest of it who might not ever go to Hornsby? How are they going to see, get the benefit or appreciate that? What would you be saying to them? 
Well, I actually think a lot of them will. It's not one of those facilities that is just for the locals living immediately uh, next to it. It's definitely a regional facility. And my experience has shown people will travel for regional facilities. And I give the example of Epping. I know a lot of people that would travel to Homebush uh, to go to the swimming pool there, even though Epping actually has its own pool. It's a different experience. It's a different facility and people will travel to go there. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's from the rivers or even if it's from outside the Shire. I really suspect that once we're finished with all the different activities there, whether it's mountain biking or adventure playgrounds or camping or what have you, I think the majority of residents will actually see a benefit to it. And much like the majority of residents were paying for it in the early days, I really hope they do enjoy it and they do like what we do with the place. Okay, thanks for that. Now, the flip side of it, what's been one of the hardest things as a collective that we, myself as a resident, doesn't understand, but it needs to be done? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, look, I think probably development is the most controversial and the most difficult. Uh, it's a bit easier for councillors now, given that they don't vote on individual DAs. But the single hardest time I had throughout my three terms was when councillors were voting on individual DAs and we received legal advice, essentially saying that if this goes to court, not only will it be approved, but also it might be approved much worse than what the officers had negotiated with the applicant. Um, a lot of our residents, even now, um, they object to different development applications that say this shouldn't be so, um, we shouldn't be approving this for X, Y and Z. And childcare centres are a great example of this. Uh, childcare centres, when you listen to a lot of the residents, they say you can't put it in a quiet street because it disturbs the amenity. You can't put it on a busy street because of the traffic and you can't put it on a medium uh, street because it shouldn't be there in the first place in the residential area. If you exclude all those three areas, it doesn't really leave you somewhere where you can put it, even though the planning legislation means it's perfectly acceptable to be in a certain area, so long as it meets different criteria. Uh, so I think that's a good example to highlight the challenges we have, where we don't want to throw good money after bad in uh, paying for lawyers and court cases, and sometimes we do have to make decisions which are unpopular. So that would explain why at the previous council there was always references about going to the Land and Environment Court and that would cost the, the, the ratepayers money. Correct. So, and I guess my approach to that has always been to try to negotiate an outcome with the residents, with the applicant and with council that everyone can live with the ultimate outcome and only take things to court that are actually really worthy of taking to court and challenging. Uh, some people will say, oh, well, we should challenge everything. But if you look at the legal advice, if you look at the precedents that have been set, quite often different councils will throw good money after bad trying to defend something where the defence is almost indefensible. And that's where we've always had a difficulty. And I think we need to make examples out of the ones where we do have a case, but try to negotiate outcomes for the ones where we don't have a case. Okay, there's there's two things that are relatively new that I want to ask you about. Uh, place managers in the Shire and localise. Would you like to sort of give us your take on those for us? 
Well, place management isn't something Hornsby has really done, in my view, very well yet. It's quite in, a, in its infancy. Uh, Parramatta Council has had place managers for an incredibly long time. I guess the reason we tried to introduce it is for place managers to act as a conduit between residents and businesses and to someone that really understands and knows the local legislation, the local area, and can work with them to get through some of the red tape and the bureaucracy that a lot of people find difficult. I think if it's done well, and I think we're yet to see um, the results of our, um, our work on place management, but I think if it's done well, it can have really good opportunities and the businesses in particular in those areas uh, will find it far easier to deal with council. And that's one of the things that I've always found when talking with businesses, whether the ones in Pennant Hills, North Epping, Epping, they always find it difficult to deal with council. Um, and another example comes case to point, uh, Oxford Street Epping, where we had outdoor dining. We tried to make outdoor dining free for the shops out there, just so they could try it and see whether it works for their business or not. But a lot of them found it so difficult to go through the entire process and do the paperwork and everything else, they actually never took up the offer. And even to this day, some of them now finally, uh, now that it's with Parramatta, are doing it, um, one or two, but the rest are still not taking up outdoor dining. And generally speaking, they're busy. They don't have time to fill in mountains of paperwork. And this is where I think a place manager can really come into its own. So in relation to the place management, what's the, the, the current one, if I'm correct, you're dealing with or close to wrapping up as a council is the Brooklyn place management strategy and the, and the river settlement side of things. What does that look like in practice? And then the next suburb or suburbs that come along, what should they expect? In practice, it means a single point of contact to get information to and fro. Um, and to be honest, Brooklyn is actually a lot more complicated than meets the eye. Um, the entire Brooklyn master plan actually started off as one thing and it's ended up something entirely different. Uh, it's now more an uh, activation plan rather than a traditional master plan. Uh, but in terms of the locals down there, the place manager gets to know who the key stakeholders are and gets to work with them, understand what their issues are and find the best way of dealing with them through the council bureaucracy. Uh, and I think the next one, ideally, if I have my way anyway, will be Pennant Hills. Um, Pennant Hills has had issues for as long as I've been on council and as long as I can remember. Uh, we're trying to revitalise the entire area as soon as North Connects is open and kick off all the planning stages for Pennant Hills again uh, because they've been stagnant for far too long. Uh, so from my perspective, I really hope that Pennant Hills will be the next cap off the rank. All right, that's really good. Thank you for that information. Now, I have what I call the rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> Don't know if you heard about them. You have... <laughs> Sorry, you had... Janelle's answered them. I didn't do them to Emma, so I'll have to do them another time, but you haven't heard Janelle's answers yet because the program hasn't been released. I'll give you a couple of questions. It's nothing hard. and They're just sort of key themes or areas of, of um, Hornsby. And I just want you to briefly to sort of say what they mean to you or what comes to mind or things like that. Are you happy to do that? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Pretty easy to start with. Bushland. Prevalent throughout all of Hornsby and worthy of protection. Waterlands, waterways, sorry. Incredibly critical uh, to our tourism and to our economic development. 
Medium density housing. Something that's missing from Hornsby Shire. Uh, I don't think we actually have enough of it. And this will be a slightly longer answer. Uh, because when we were going through Epping, in particular with the high-rise, a lot of the people who were moving out were always asking where there are townhouses and where there is what's called the missing middle. So it's something I think we need to have a look at. Um, cycle paths. Uh, sorry, I missed that, your audio. You just broke up there. Cycle paths. Uh, key for the future of our cities, um, I think both from a recreational and a transport point of view. Ideally, we want people uh, working a lot closer to home. And if COVID has actually shown us anything, it's shown us that we can actually do it too. Um, the rural fire service. Incredible, look, I'm a bit biased because I'm actually a member. So I'll declare that up front. Uh, but critical for our uh, society, critical for New South Wales. Uh, I've got to say, <laughs> brings back a lot of memories over the last fire season. I think I spent... 30 days away from home uh, in three months. Um, so especially for our area that's surrounded by bushland, bushland it's absolutely critical. Uh, the Indigenous community. <sighs> critical to our history. Um, and I think we actually have uh, quite a lot of it understated in Hornsby Shire. And it's something I think we definitely can work on. Rural land management. Very difficult in a lot of respects. Uh, farming practices have changed over the years. And I think our rural area is now shifting from primary production to more tourism and ancillary. And we need to be able to adapt to it. Okay, two more. So, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, arts and culture in the Shire. Slowly developing. Uh, when I was first elected, uh, some of the local artists said we were culturally devoid. Um, and since then, we've actually developed Walla Robba as our arts and culture space. Uh, we're looking at developing it even further, making sure we have hanging spaces in the Cherrybrook Community Centre and in anything new that gets built in Hornsby Town Centre. So an ever-evolving project, but not finished by any stretch of the imagination. And the final question is sporting activities and parks in the Shire. Well serviced, very well utilised and uh, quite frankly we're often the playground of the North Shore. Uh, we have far more fields uh, per capita than a lot of the others uh, and it just makes Hornsby a great place to live, work and play. Thank you so much for taking your time. Is there anything um, you would like to ask of me or a, a closing statement or anything like that? No, really just to thank you for doing these things um, because it's often difficult for councillors and especially uh, one such as myself with full-time work and RFS commitments and everything else. It's difficult for people to get to know who I am, um, why am I there, what I'm doing, what I stand for. Uh, so I really wanted to thank you and Triple H for doing these programs and um, being so even-handed with everyone. And what if people wanted to contact you, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, either my email address or phone number, uh, both of which can be found on Council's website. Okay, and do you have a social media presence? Uh, I do, I am on Facebook. So if you look up uh, Michael Hutchins, you'll be able to find me very easily. Just make sure you don't pick the singer because he hasn't been around for a while, um, <laughs> but just look for my photo somewhere. 
All right, that sounds great. Well, Michael, thank you very much for your time. And I do appreciate it because you are busy, you're full-time working and you're doing this essentially on your own time and into the evenings. And I only managed to get you today because I called you while you're at work, while you're having a lunch. So I appreciate it. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you again.